Micah Miller trying to spring a pass ahead. Nobody in front of Jack Paling. Moves on with a blast and scores! Jack Paling We aren't giving up on chances, and we just got to bottom line execute. Waits, waits, passes in front. Great save, Pelosi, as she robs a gopher in front of her. And that was number eight, Kippen Keller, on the great A opportunity. For me as a coach, that's the kind of D you're always looking for because uh, they don't grow on trees for sure, and, and he's done a really good job being a captain of a really young team this year. It's a really cool thing to see for them to uh, really appreciate what I've done on and off the ice. To the far half wall, Jack Paling trying to play it into the corner. Now Paling turns, squares his body to the slot, sends it up high toward Jack. Shaw makes his play through and they score! Right along the blue line, Nick Paling was in front of the net, and St. Welcome back to the Den Husky Warming Us podcast, fans. It's episode number 46. In this week's episode, we have a former St. Cloud State forward joining the Healthy Scratch interview. That'll be in a separate segment. We get into a lot of great topics here in Center Ice View news and notes in the weekly roundup. Some plenty of NHL talk, obviously recapping the NCAC as well as the WCHA in action, and possibly some trade stuff with Pierre-Luc Dubois and the Columbus Blue Jacks. As that saga finally ended, I believe it has. But welcome in, and I'm Nick Maxson. Let's welcome in Noah Grant, my co-host. Uh, Noah, what's going on this uh, Sunday morning here uh, in the great old upper Midwest? I know here in the Twin Cities, we had some snow. Uh, what's going up on the great state of North Dakota? Yeah, we've got snow too. Um, it, it's uh, it's nice to be inside, I guess, <laughs> you know, and not have to worry about going anywhere today and having to shovel a snow off the truck. But I definitely probably will have to get get ready for tomorrow. It's been uh, it's been good. I mean, nursing school's been uh, you know it's been busy. Uh, it, I have one one class that it's kind of been kicking the crap out of all of us as far as tests. It's one of those like so you know how like when you go to school and you take classes and, you know, they say this test will cover chapters, you know, four through 10 or something like that, you know, it's 300 pages, but you know, it's a simple economics class or something that's easy to kind of slough your way through and pass the test and you'll be fine. Nursing school is not like that. Nursing school says you have six chapters and 300 pages of information and you have to read the, almost all of those 300 pages to get the gist of what's going on. I mean, and you have to do it almost every week. So these tests, they encompass, they're 50 questions and they encompass, you know, five or six chapters in, in a week sometimes. And it's just like, man, it, how do you retain all of this sometimes? Or, you know, the questions sometimes, you know, they're NCLEX style questions, which NCLEX is the, the testing mechanism used to certify um, nurses to the board. And it's been challenging because the questions I don't think sometimes accurately reflect the real life thinking process that goes into the soft science of being a nurse. You know, it's not a math question where it's a yes or no question all the time. So it's been good. The grades are doing okay, but you know what? It's school is different. Uh, let's just put it this way. So um, yeah, I, it's been okay. Uh, how about you? You're probably back in the swing of things with school. I hear you're maybe doing some production things as well. Some new roles as well uh, with Husky uh, productions. Uh, what's been going on in your world here? Uh, sure. Obviously, uh, class is ringing up. I'll be doing some uh, producing the all not only UTVS news segments on Thursdays, but I've also been uh, tasked to help produce some of the intermission stuff here with the, the men's hockey games. I uh, did some calling of the women's uh, hockey team as well this last weekend, did some play-by-play -play for Flow Hockey TV uh, against Wisconsin. Uh, St. Clair State women's, as we will discuss, had a little bit of a tough weekend, uh, and they're right. But again, number one team in the nation coming, and you always expect a tough battle uh, between those two clubs. But um, it's, it's, it's getting busy. Yeah. 
uh, but we're getting excited too, because uh, I know the women's team, uh, you know, they're, they're certainly making progress. Noah, I like that. We'll get into more of that topic too, but uh, the men's team, uh, they've been playing some really, really good hockey. They're a fun team to watch. And uh, it's kind of sad that uh, they're going to have an off week coming up this weekend. We'd like to see them keep playing. You know, it's, it's sad that they have an off week, but I think between you, me, and maybe Ben, we're actually somewhat excited in some respects that they have an off week. Cause it means that, you know, we get to have a little bit of a respite as far as the weekend is concerned for our coverages. We also had a quick, really quick little listener question here, Nick. Um, and uh, is more of a DM. And I think you'll get a kick out of this one. Uh, they said, great content, keep up the great work. How long does it take you, or how, I guess how many takes does it take you to do the previews and the recaps for uh, the hockey games? Nick, how many takes does it normally take us to do most of those recaps? One. Yeah. Yeah. One. Usually, usually the recap that you hear um, is our raw take on the first take. Um, uh, and, you know, we kind of try to keep it that way as almost it's, it's live. The only times that we don't have to do it, um, we have to do it more than once is uh, if we mess up the intro, you know, if we say, you know, I'm Noah Grant joined alongside Nick Maxson and then I stumble through my words or something like that. Um, or I guess I, I've forgotten to record it a couple of times. So we've had to do it twice because I don't know how to work the record button. Um, but Ben Holden's episode or preview, the only time he ever did it, it took, took two times with us. So I would say we're probably better than Ben, right? That's got to be what I should take away from that. Uh, I'll let you put that in, in your ego boosting you know, uh, role there. Uh, but yeah, well, we'll leave it at that. We still have to update. We still have to put his bio up on the website as well. But uh, um, so ju just, uh, I think it's a good little stoppage point though, to mention to people when it comes to these episodes, you know, we do record this episode on Sunday. Uh, all, obviously the healthy scratch interview uh, depends during the week. And then those recaps, you know, we try to do them at various points during the week or, you know, before or after the hockey games. Uh, if those don't, you know, pop up immediately after the games, or if uh, an episode comes out late for whatever particular reason, uh, it's either a technical issue or just kind of a life thing that's going on with all of us. As, as we just alluded to, we are kind of busy. So um, we try to get our content out as quickly as we can, but just for the future, with our schedules ramping up as students again, I just wanted to put that out there that if an episode for the regular center ice view doesn't come out until like Monday morning for some ridiculous reason, uh, it's not intentional. Um, and we try to get our episodes out around Sunday afternoon every time. With that being said, on Saturday at 12 o'clock noon is our two-line fan trivia. We did have a winner this week. Uh, so let's jump right into that question right now. Two-line fan trivia is your chance to win some sweet Huskies Warming House podcast apparel every Saturday at noon. Simply follow us on Twitter, and when 12 o'clock noon rolls around on Saturday, gear up to take on the best in the two-line fan trivia leaderboard for your chance to win a Huskies Warming House podcast hat. Twitter followers also have a chance to win more Huskies Warming House podcast apparel, and you'll also find the latest in St. Cloud State Husky coverage. Two-line fan trivia, every Saturday at noon. Uh, this week, we welcomed in uh, our guest in Robbie Jackson, which Nick and Ben had a fantastic interview with, and I'm excited to kick this one out on Tuesday. Um, he is tied, along with Brandon Samper, for third all-time in career shorthand and goals with six. However, in 2017, Robbie won what annual team award for that season? Nick, do you know what this award is? Biggest Badass Award? <laughs> Uh, besides that, someone else also put, what is it? Most consecutive games wearing a bow tie to the arena. Yeah. Um, <laughs> gotta love it. Uh, um, actually our winner was, uh, Derek Felska 
Crease and assist who we've had on. Um, he won on his birthday yesterday. So happy birthday. He gets a new free hat as a first time winner. In 2017, Robbie Jackson won the St. Cloud Times Marty Sunvall Star of the Season Award, which is given to the player who is one of the game's top three stars for most games during the season. Nick, do you know who won the Marty Sunvall Star of the Season Award last year? Oh. Remember that given to the player who is one of the game's top three stars for most of the games during the season. Oh my goodness. Was it Rennick? It was David Rennick. Um, yeah, I, I, it's kind of interesting to go back. This one is a found once again in that St. Cloud state men's hockey record book, the current one for this year, you can find it online. It's a very great resource as far as this trivia is concerned, but uh, leaderboard didn't change. Congratulations to our friend, Derek Felska. I've been practicing his name, crease and assist. Congratulations. We'll have to have him on as the Minnesota wild move into uh, their respective season as well. But speaking of seasons, Nick, the wild were in action NCHC is back in action. WCHA, the whole gamut, of our hockey world is back in action this week. So let's jump right into it in Center Ice View News and Notes. Center Ice View News and Notes. Center Ice View provides you with the best coverage of St. Cloud State Huskies hockey from game notes, recaps, photos, and more. Go to centericeview.com. And welcome to the Huskies Warmer Notes podcast, Center Ice View News and Notes. And on this week's of the Huskies Illustrated Weekly Roundup, we're going to touch on some of the action around college hockey, including men's and women's in the NCHC and the WCHA. We have some stuff around the National Hockey League to get to and some important NHL trades possible, and maybe including a player by the name of Pierre-Luc Dubois. Where is he headed? And we'll talk about all that here in the first couple of stories, but let's get right to it here. Sorry, enough of news around the state of Minnesota here, boys. The Minnesota Wild are off to a pretty impressive four and one start. They have a 70% chance to make the postseason, although we're only five games in. The Wild did drop the only contest one nothing to the Anaheim Ducks before grabbing games again. The second one against Anaheim and again, the first one against the San Jose Sharks last week. Also had a trade. They dealt uh, defenseman Greg Pettering to the Colorado Avalanche for all-star defenseman Ian Cole. He's looked pretty good in the first two games with the uh, team in Minnesota. Is currently sitting fourth in the Honda West Division in what would be the final playoff spot entering play January 23rd. Moving over to college hockey in the NCHC, Denver, North Dakota, and Duluth all have kept pace uh, with St. Cloud with decisive wins on Saturday with each team's opponent only scoring a single single goal in each of those games. Uh, the three teams are back in action today on Sunday against Omaha, CC, and Western Michigan, respectively. And our St. Cloud State Huskies completed their sweep of Miami last night by a combined weekend score of 13-4. to Western Michigan and St. Cloud will have a bye week this week before facing each other in the first weekend of February. Shifting to the WCHA, the St. Cloud State women's hockey team dropped both of their games against Wisconsin. On Saturday, the two teams were tied 2-2 until Lacey Eden of Wisconsin broke the score with just over a minute to play in regulation. The Badgers would go on to win the game 4-2 and complete the sweep. Ohio State beat Mankato in both games this weekend, and Bemidji and Minnesota Duluth traded 1-0 overtime wins at the Sanford Center. Let's head over to the National Hockey League here, boys. The Washington Capitals were hit with a $100,000 fine this past week because Alice Ovechkin, Evgeny Kuznetsov, Ilya Samsonov, and Dmitry Olov have violated both NHL as well as team of COVID-19 protocols and now are in quarantine. 
four hotel, uh, the four players were in a hotel area that were not club approved. And for player gatherings, Sensonas, the club's starting goaltender, has tested positive for COVID-19 on Thursday. And each player is expected to miss four games with the required quarantine period per NHL guidelines on COVID-19 protocol. Moving up north in Saturn news, Toronto Maple Leafs legend George Armstrong has passed away this morning at the age of 90. One of the first players of Indigenous descent to play professional hockey, he spent all 21 seasons in Toronto, 12 of which as a captain, winning four Stanley Cups in the process. Armstrong was a part of the last cup in Toronto history in, guess what, 1967. His number 10 was retired and he joined the Hockey Hall of Fame in 1975. The Ontario native is first in franchise history uh, with 1,188 games played and had 713 points in those games. So we wish him, his family, we should say, uh, the best moving forward. In the Southeast Carolina Hurricanes defenseman Dougie Hamilton had a very impressive streak end last week. While the Canes beat Nashville 4-2, Hamilton's consecutive shot streak ended at 296 games. The last time Hamilton failed to register a shot on goal in an NHL game was April 5th of 2016. Hall of Famer Ray Bork holds the all-time record of 360 straight contests with a shot on goal since the league began recording this statistic. Bork also holds the record for the most career shots, 6,206, and the most shots in a game with 19. Talk about a player that also likes to shoot the puck. Uh, Toronto Maple Leafs uh, young star Nick Robertson will be out at least four weeks with a knee injury. And the club also confirmed that 41-year-old Jumbo Joe Thornton will be out at least a month with a rib fracture. Uh, for P Pittsburgh Penguins also will be without defenseman Mike Matheson. Long-term with an upper body injury. And also in retirement news, former Boston defenseman Adam McQuaid announced his retirement from the National Hockey League after 10 seasons. Uh, he hasn't played since 2019 because of a neck injury. And then Prince Edward Island native, who won the Stanley Cup with Boston in 2011, finished with a plus 62 on the stat line with 512 total career games played in the National Hockey League. Rounding up our weekly roundup in our last topic, a blockbuster trade went down this week between the Columbus Blue Jackets and the Winnipeg Jets. Columbus sent young forward Pierre-Luc Dubois and a 2022 third-round pick to Manitoba for former second overall pick Patrick Laine and highly touted prospect Jack Roslevic. Dubois was a third-round overall pick in that same 2016 draft as Laine and led the Jackets with 49 points in 70 games played last year. Line, who is currently on the injured reserve and is in the last year of his contract, has 140 career goals in four seasons, while Roslevic has added 29 points in 71 contests last year. The Jets will retain 26% of Line's $6.75 million cap hit, and Dubois will have to quarantine for at least seven days and potentially up to 14 before joining his new club. do it for this week's weekly roundup uh, it should be an interesting one next week don't forget as we did mention st cloud state uh the men's team is not in action this upcoming week so we might have a very different looking center SU news and notes coming up but uh someone to help us out with that center SU news and notes as he's joined us for the second consecutive week here uh in the michigan area ben holden ben how are you doing this morning anything exciting i hear that you're pretty good on the mic but as far as <laughs> plugging mics into computers you're not the best <laughs> I knew that was going to come back to bite me. Uh, it's all good. No, all kidding aside, it's great to be with you guys. Thanks for the lid. And I love this. You guys are classy. It's a nice welcome note. 
that you guys send out to, uh, I'm guessing whoever you send swag to and uh, put it on the fridge. I really, I got to, I'm going to put it behind me on my, in my little studio here, man. The wall, good the wall guys. there. Yeah. <laughs> see you guys. And uh, there's no hotter player in college hockey than Nolan Walker, four shots, four Woo-hoo! goals to see last night for St. Cloud state is uh, they get the job done uh, two games at home, getting six points. So good for them. Yeah, obviously really excited for this St. Cloud State team. But let's back up to the last topic that we did talk about in our weekly roundup. Uh, maybe, Nick, I'll kick it over to you. Uh, initial reactions with this Pierre-Luc Dubois trade. I mean, who, who's kind of the winner in this? And then we'll, we'll take it a step back and talk about what led up to it. But first, let's just talk about surface level. Um, first of all, what are the Winnipeg Jets getting in Pierre-Luc Dubois? And also, when are they getting him? We might have our stat line wrong as far as when he'll actually be able to join the club. And then on the flip side, what is Columbus getting in their pair of uh, players they picked up here? So first, uh, I think Winnipeg actually wins this trade, honestly. Uh, Winnipeg for sure needed a, a bona fide first or second line center. They're going to get a good two-way player in Pierre-Luc Dubois. Uh, I think he's a guy that has – that two-way gate in him, he, he's got the offensive ability. Um, so he's going to compliment Mark Shifley down the middle as a one-two, something that Winnipeg really needed. They brought in Paul Stassi to try to anchor that second, third-line center. He really hasn't been that offensive spark. And granted, Paul Stassi, he's, he's in the you know upper echelon of his career. So uh, this is no surprise. And for Winnipeg, they needed to move on from Patrick Laine. Um, obviously, Jack Roslovic involved in that trade going back to Columbus. Uh, to me, this is a high-risk, high-reward trade for, for Columbus with, with Patrick Laine. We know he can score goals, but the one big X factor on his game has been what can he do defensively, which uh, unfortunately has drawn comparisons to Greg Harden uh, down there as far as basketball is concerned. A, a lot of nothing. Yeah. So, uh, unfortunately, uh, you know, for Columbus, if they do pan out, it could be a really good win for Columbus, but it, it's going to be more of a long-term future type look. Again, as you mentioned, Patrick Laine currently on injured reserve and, and i think again rounding out the two-way game for patrick line if he's able to do that uh it, it's going to be tough with john tortorella he's going to expect a lot of his players and uh, that's an interesting dynamic to me uh ben i want to get your thoughts on that too but i think initially right now winnipeg wins this uh trade hands down yeah that's that's what i'm thinking nick i mean you you better back check you better not play on the wrong side of the puck and cheat with with john tortorella and you know, I, I'll say this. I, I'm kind of getting to the – not kind of. I am to the point where it disappoints me when these guys – you mentioned Greg Harden, but I'll throw out James Harden. I mean, he, they hold these teams hostage, and I don't like that. They agreed to a contract, and then all of a sudden they want to be traded for whatever reason. I just don't – it doesn't sit well with me, man. I just – but yet you got to move the player. You know, it's either you move the player or the coach – and in Columbus's situation, you're not going to move John Tortorella. I mean, he's gotten into the playoffs. The guy's a proven coach that can get teams deep. He's won a cup. Um, I, I don't like it. I don't like how this keeps happening with whether it's hockey, basketball, football, whatever it is. But it does, and I understand it, because these teams have multi-million dollar deals invested in these athletes, and they got to do something. You just it, it drives me nuts, man. And, you know, I, I – I like to move, honestly, I like to move better for Columbus. I really do. If Line A buys in, I think Roslovic, he's a kid that played at Miami. I saw him a little bit in his short time there before he left. And the one thing that I would say about him is he always did things simple, smart, and effective. And he turned, he's turned out to be a pretty good pro. So I, I would go Columbus uh, in terms of who won this deal. 
Yeah. Okay. So maybe it's almost safe to say that both teams probably benefited with the mutual parting of ways from some of these guys here. So yeah. let's, let's kind of bring it back to, to how we got to this point, right? Okay. So we mentioned, let's start on the Winnipeg side. Jack Roslevic has just kind of been a trade piece just because he's kind of a little bit of bait that allows you to not give away a draft pick, but he's a guy that's NHL ready, but will he project to be better than a third line center? Time will tell, I think. And the opportunities that he gets in Columbus. Mm-hmm. As far as Patrick Line, as you mentioned, uh, kind of looking for a way out of Winnipeg. I think he actually really liked Winnipeg, uh, you know, when it was all said and done. But I think he just wanted to move on. He wanted a different experience, and that's okay. Um, interesting to think about that Line goes number two overall in that 2016 draft, and Dubois goes number three overall in that draft, and they flip-flop places. Imagine if they would have mm-hmm. just drafted differently in those two years, you know, how different this might have looked. But – on the other side, and I think the piece that uh, Ben touched on very, very well, uh, Pierre-Luc Dubois uh, essentially signing a two-year, $10 million contract for the purpose of giving the Jackets time to um, kind of move on with him and work out a trade. I guess relationship really soured over that summer uh, with the Blue Jackets GM, but the piece that people have really focused on, and they focused on very well because it's called an ISO cam uh, in the broadcasting <laughs> world. <laughs> Look at this guy. Yeah, look at me go. Uh, that is a uh, that is three minutes and fifty five seconds of ice time total throughout the first period of the game against who were they playing? Uh, Detroit, if I'm not mistaken. No, Tampa. No, it wasn't Tampa. Detroit. I forget. Was it Detroit, Nick? Tampa. I think it was Tampa. Tampa. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. So uh, they ended up losing that game, but in the final shift of that only three minutes and fifty five seconds that Dubois played. Uh, it was a shift that uh, the word lackadaisical is probably being generous. I, I think, I mean, it was just, he was not engaged in puck battles. He was frustrated. I mean, you could tell he just was not engaged. So, so here's, here's what I, I, I kind of want to ask you guys here. When I see this and you can see all the comments on social media about Pierre-Luc Dubois, you know, everyone's saying, you know, he's a POS and that sort of thing. You know, he's a horrible person, this and that guys. Okay. He didn't burn down an embassy. He's a hockey player. You know what I mean? Like, if, if he wasn't engaged in the game, that's one thing. Yeah, they paid him $10 million. It's kind of a crapshoot for Columbus. But they gave him the money, and he wasn't invested. But, like, he's a hockey player. He doesn't have any bearing on the social world, of, I don't think. So I want to kind of kick it here to you, Nick. What, what did you think on surface value when you saw, um, you know, this ISO cam of this final shift? Is it all-encompassing of the situation in Columbus, or is it just a guy who's at the end of his rope? I think it actually was the straw that broke the camel's back. Let's rewind back to the NHL bubble where there was an ISO cam, as you like to say, on the bench between yes. Pierre Luc Dubois and John Tortorella. This has yes. been brewing for a while. So this is not something, at least if you're invested in hockey or have been paying attention, this is not something new between these two. This has been going back away. And John Tortorella, as we all know, is a guy where he demands you play the game the way he wants you to play. Yeah. He he is a guy that makes diamonds out of coal. Honestly, he's, he's very good at doing that. Uh, mm-hmm. Columbus, again, losing Artemi Panarin, Sergei Bobrovsky, uh, losing Matt Duchesne, essentially, when they went all out. They lost a lot of high-level yeah. league talent. But John Torella has a knack for taking players that maybe doesn't necessarily have the high-end skill, but getting them to play a system and a style that makes them successful. Um, look at last year. I don't think anybody would have pegged Columbus the start of last season to make a playoff push. And John Tortorella is the guy that does that. So, you know, again, 
was that shit lackadaisical, as you like to say? Absolutely. As, as a center, you know, look at what he was doing, those 50-50 puck battles, those stick battles. It was just wasn't there. Uh, but to me, if I'm a player in that situation, and I think this is where, you know, that relationship has soured for a while. I mean, if I'm a coach, I'm benching him too, 100%. I don't care if you're John Tortorella, uh, Barry Trotz, you're benching that player. That's just awful. That's just not a player in the NHL how you play. So, Ben, I want to get your opinions on that benching. From my perspective here, I agree with the benching in all but one piece of this. I think that, you know, and obviously they ended up trading him and, and sitting him at that particular point, you know, th- throughout the rest of his tenure as a Columbus Blue Jacket. That was his final shift, uh, you know, for the Cannons there. But I think they maybe should have, maybe should have sat him through the first two periods. And then for me, knowing what I know about guys that we, we've all been on teams where, you know, guys get sat during a game, give them one shift in the third period. I say, give him one shift in the third period. If he gives you an absolute balls to the wall shift shows that he's engaged shows that he's committed. Even if that relationship is sour, then you know that he's willing to be the bigger man and buck up and do what he has to do for the club until they either trade him or he stays with Columbus. That was my only caveat knowing from a hockey player perspective that regardless of how frustrated you are with management, I still want to play hockey. So, and then if he gives you a shift that's similar to the one you saw in that first period, then, you know, then you know that all bets are off. They traded him. Obviously, it doesn't matter. But, Ben, I want to get your thoughts. I mean, as a coach, do you sit him for the rest of the game or do you give him that extra shift to prove himself uh, at the start of the third period? Uh, Well, real quick, I'm watching it now. Uh, It was Tampa that they were playing. Um, Look, if I'm a coach, I'm going into a game and I'm saying these are the guys I'm playing. And if you're not going to give effort and you're going to dog it, I mean, look at this. Sorry, I got to do this. I mean, look at this. I mean, look at that. Yeah, the like, one that on. one that gets me is the tail end of that shift when he goes to engage in that. You know, here's the thing: as poor as that that shift was, because of the fact that really he actually wasn't around the puck a whole lot, to be honest with you, in that shift. I mean, it was one of those shifts where you can you can discredit the effort, but he really wasn't around the puck just because it was kind of a transitional shift. One of those shifts where nothing really happens right. until the tail end of that shift goes in for that 50-50 puck battle with that defenseman and just. I mean, my dead grandma could have battled harder than that one. You know what I mean? Ben? Well, I mean, it, just yeah, terrible. I do. And I just saw the end. It was Tyler Johnson and Stamkos. But before that, if you watch the clip in the beginning, the first, <clears throat> excuse me, 10 seconds or so, you watch Blake Coleman and Coleman kind of looked. You could see him turn like, wait, where is he? Like you would expect him to come in and, and lay the body on you and, and battle for the puck. I'm with Tortorella on this one, guys, because if I'm putting you in the lineup on my team, you better go out there and play the way you're supposed to play. And I'll go back to what Nick said. That was classic in the bubble because if you remember, guys, I don't know what his line was that next game. He responded after Tortorella got in his you-know-what. And he's a co- – like, any coach is like that. I think Tortorella's – I mean, to me, the guy I'd have to go back to, and I'm dating myself here, but I feel it's reality. There's a couple guys. Scotty Bowman, but Scotty Bowman didn't do it in the way that Tortorella does it. But the guy that did do it in that way and would embarrass you is Mike Keenan. Keenan, yeah, Mike Keenan reminds me of. But you know what? The guy was a hell of a coach, and the guy had some great teams. And if I'm John Tortorella, no one player is bigger than my team. So I wouldn't have given him the time and said put him on the bench the first two periods. I would have played him, and if he didn't play and he went out and gave a you know what kind of performance like he did on that shift, he's out. 
That's me. I, I want to add one thing to you, Noah, because you, you mentioned giving him a shift in the third. Um, I, I'm with Ben. Again, you don't play. Because here's the other thing you have to consider as a hockey player. What about his line mates watching his effort? Yes. I mean, if I'm going to go out there and give all my effort on my shifts, and my especially your centerman, you're supposed to be arguably yeah. your more responsible, more engaged player on that shift. If I'm watching that, like, do I want to play with that kid? Absolutely not, I don't. So, to me, it's respect for your team. It's also respect for your line mates. I mean, if that's the effort you're going to give out, then, no, please put them on the bench. I'd rather play with somebody who's giving me all the efforts. So, that's where where I'll take your argument, and I'll say I think it applies the other direction. I think if you sit there – because here's for me. We're go back to before he was traded. Pretend we're at that night, game's over, right? Or we're just getting ready to enter the third period. They haven't traded him yet. They don't know. Columbus doesn't know what they're going to do with him yet formally, okay? For me, if you have line mates that are disgusted with your play or you have management that's disgusted with your play, for me, I'm giving him that shift to where he shows himself by himself, he shows that he's going to be accountable, recognizes his mistake, recognizes his attitude, and he's going to show that he is going to show up in that play. And if he doesn't, and if he doesn't, that is a cue for John Tortorella and management to for sure move on from him. That's just my perspective because I know as a hockey player, you can hate management, you can hate coaches, but as you mentioned with your teammates, your teammates are the ultimate backbone of what makes you a hockey player you don't do things for john tortorella you don't do things for the city of columbus you do it for the man that's sitting next to you so i think if you get sat the message is sent you give him one shift in the third period and you say all right show your teammates you want to be here and if you don't show that you're on the bus tomorrow that's my my opinion Here's the thing, though, and sorry to Ben, I'll, oh, I'll, jump, in, I'll jump in real quick. Yep. Uh, it, there's also something about being a consummate professional, right? It doesn't matter what's happening behind the scenes at the end of the yep. day. And here's the other thing we have to consider, too. This isn't about one shift. Again, we go back. Dubois' play has not been happy with Totorella. This is not just one shift getting you this benching. It's consistent play over the start. And again, John Totorella, I again, I'm not going to go off my perch on this. If you're not playing that, especially the effort, you can't teach effort. You, that's something you as a player have to come up to. And if I'm a coach, I, I can teach you X's and O's of where you want to be. But if you're not going to skate your rear end off to be in the right spot and give your team the best opportunity to win, I don't want you to play. At the end of the day, I need to put the players on the bench. I mean, are we having this conversation to be short in the bench in the third period because you're not playing? No, we're having a conversation because he, what, three shifts and that was it? It's because, again, he put himself in that position. It's nothing to do with Tortorella. You have to come ready to play as a professional and not – hang your hat on one shift. That's all on Pierre Luc Dubois. You're, you're, I agree with you, Nick. And, and to your points, Noah, about, yeah, you don't play for the coach or the management or you play, you, play for your, you play for your line, you play for your team, you play for yourself. But here's the thing with me. You always what – what, there's many phrases that we know in hockey that you hear coaches say. And I remember standing on the bench in the American Hockey League with David Quinn, who's now the coach of the Rangers, who I spent two years with. You better be engaged – and you better be ready to play from the start of the game. Like, if I'm a coach, I can't have a guy sitting there, oh, well, we'll give him a chance when he's ready to play. Then your ass is out. And, and to me, he – I mean, this shift says it all. He clearly checked out. He didn't care anymore. So why should Tortorella continue to give him ice time and continue to care about him when you can see um, this thing's still running? The guy could have cared less. I mean, that's about – those are two yeah. big things for and I guess to clarify, like, I don't disagree with him getting benched at all. I guess that's just my mentality because I, I'm just one of those people that I don't want to say I believe in second chances. Cause I mean, it's, it's, it's a freaking hockey game, but like, I guess it, it, in my, in my perspective, I'm just kind of like, 
you know, I want people to, you know, if, if I'm mad at them or I'm saying, you know, you're going to do this because this is, you know, I, if you think about it, a coach holds power over players, you know, I, I'm evaluating you. You haven't met that performance bar. I'm just one of those people that says, all right, one last kick at the can. Let, let me see if you're going to lay it on the line. That's just me. Um, you know, but I understand it's a business. I understand it's a professional $10 million on the line. I get that too. That's the only difference I have between you guys. Otherwise I agree with you. I think well, it's funny. I, it seems like I'm disagreeing with you so mightily, but I'm not. No, I, mean, I, not. I, think, I think what you're missing Noah, is that, you know, we're only seeing this one shift. Our Tortorella was watching him for the course of him being a player there. So again, it's right. like you, you say second chances to me, this was more than a second chance for Pierre-Luc Dubois. This was third, fourth, whatever you want to call it. He has evaluated him. And with that being said, if that was going to be the straw that broke the camel's back to me, then that's what it was. So to me, I think you're, you're forgetting that, yes, we've only seen a camera shot of one shift, but yet John Torello seen him in practice. You see yep. him do this. He knows he can be better. And if that's the effort you're going to play during the game, then no, take a seat, buddy. Warm the bench. Yeah, that, that wasn't one, two, or three chances. <clears throat> that was the last chance. That was his last chance. And that's what he went out and did. And again, I go back to, you know, these pro athletes that, that do this. And, and to me, it's a bigger thing than just the athlete, guys. I got a 19-year-old son. What kind of message does that send to our youth? I mean, think about this in college athletics. You, you, I've seen football players over the last 10 years of doing games. Now, obviously, they haven't had the portal that long. But since the portal started, there were guys I saw that were at three or four different schools. They don't know how to deal with adversity. This isn't adversity in, in his case. It's doing the job you're paid millions of dollars to do. And that bothers me. It just bothers me, guys. I'm older. I get it. But it just bothers me because it says to these young high, oh, well, he didn't want to play there. So he got traded. Well, I don't want to play for this team. I want to go play for another travel team. I think the message is, is to me, that's the huge message in all this for young hockey players and young athletes, no matter what sport you're in. I really... I really, I'm very strong, as you can tell, in the way I feel about that. But I really believe that's that's part of the bigger picture in all this. Oh, come on, Ben. You and Nick are like the same age, pretty much. <laughs> anyway, I really either that's a diss on me or that's a really good thing on Ben. So, so But I'm glad you, I'm glad you, I'm glad you mentioned adversity, though, because it pushes really well into our next topic. St. Cloud State women's hockey team was back in action against Wisconsin Friday and Saturday. Um, and we talked about their matchup against the Gophers, in which they showed up really strong that Thursday, got their doors blown off on Saturday, and had an okay effort on that Sunday. Kind of flipped the script a little bit here. Wisconsin, one of the best teams in the country, always has been, comes out a 10 to nothing drubbing of St. Cloud State on Friday night. St. Cloud comes back, and like we mentioned uh, in the weekly roundup, uh, was a minute and a half from heading to overtime two to two against this Wisconsin team was one to one after period one, two to two after period two, four to two was the final score with that uh, late marker and empty net for the Badgers. Uh, Nick, I mean, what did, what did you think about this women's hockey team? When we talk about adversity, I think that shows a heck of a lot of character to, you know, essentially be, I don't want to use the term embarrassed, but they got walked over on home ice and to be able to come back and, you know, give the performance that they did in that second night. I think it shows a lot about the resilience and character of this hockey team heading into uh, playoff pictures in a couple months. Uh, number one, yes. Uh, and I, I hate to, to say this because, you know, I, I love the women's hockey team, but they were embarrassed in game number one. Uh, let's not forget, they went into the first intermission only down one nothing. Uh, so they were doing a lot of things right. Um, the only problem was they were defending a lot too much. And unfortunately, they were 
not doing good gaps. They were allowing Wisconsin to use their speed. And then again, Wisconsin, one of the better cycling teams in the entire league, when they get the puck possession, they never give it up. And Wisconsin, uh, unfortunately for St. Cloud, the attention to detail, especially trying to take away the middle of the ice where Wisconsin, when, when they cross, especially that high cycle atop of the circle, um, St. Cloud just didn't know how to defend that. Uh, they got pulled out of position and there was plenty of shots. And I hate to say this, but Sonny Ahola, yeah, she led in six, but a lot of those goals that went on her, not her fault, um, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. And then she gets pulled. Uh, Emma Peluzde goes into the third, and that's a tough, you know, any goaltender, that's a tough spot to go in six rep. Uh, she never really seemed to be settled in. She led in four, and I think six shots or whatnot. So, uh, but at the end of the day, the effort just wasn't there. Uh, Saturday's game, much, much better. Uh, much better gap control, especially for Wisconsin. They weren't letting them just walk into the offensive zone. Uh, much better in terms of switching your defenders in the defensive zone, just keeping into the house, as they call it, uh, just allowing just. If you want to skate the perimeter, just skate, but you're not coming into the middle. I'm not going to get pulled out of position. So much better job defending. And then you, you talk about a heartbreaking loss. Um, I was calling the game for full hockey TV and uh, to see that turnover from behind the net from Laura Kluga. And unfortunately for Wisconsin, they were pressuring uh, just a quick, you know, pass from behind the net out front. There was no chance for Pelusny on that. It, to me, it hurts worse to lose in that fashion than to lose 10 nothing, honestly, because you had a chance uh, to, to win that game or at least push it to overtime. Uh, they were playing a really, really good game of hockey. And then just to, to uh, I guess, to, to have the brakes put on you, you know, with, like you said, a minute 17, I believe, was exactly the, the timer from the clock. That one's going to sting for a while on that hockey squad. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, and this one hurts, but I'd rather have it hurt on January 23rd than have it hurt in March. I mean, that's just the reality. Laura Klugut, you know, like you mentioned, that turnover, uh, just going to learn from it. Emma Paluzny played really well. This team, I like to see teams that continually get better throughout the weekend. I think St. Cloud, the men's team did that this weekend, played much, much better in that second night. David Rennick had a nice rebound game as well. This women's team, I think, is hopefully trending in the right direction as far as, you know, finding a way to get better every period, every shift, every game. And then as you continue to grow that and continue to get better and better, then when you hit March, you know, and maybe you're in that four or five spot, maybe you're matching up with a team like Bemidji, you know, where maybe you have a chance to knock them off and punch your ticket to the next round of the playoffs there. Um, Also speaking of that Bemidji and Duluth game, how about the opposite of the Huskies weekend, low scoring games, one, nothing games in overtime, one for each team. So pretty interesting action in the WCHA. A lot of those teams, there's a lot of movement in the standings this year, credit to St. Cloud and Mankato and Bemidji and some of these teams that finished in the latter half of the standings last year are uh, really coming into their own and making a, a lot more parity in this league. Moving into the NCHC and the men's hockey team, a three to two win on Friday night, and then uh, an eight to two drubbing, if you will, uh, a couple of quick strike goals in the second period after Miami ties the game at two for the Huskies to complete the sweep and uh, really grab some points that they were missing against Western Michigan the weekend prior. Uh, ben, let's start with you. Maybe let's start with that Friday night game, a game that was a lot more tight knit uh, than the one that eventually ended up on Saturday. Um, what did you see from the Huskies? I mean, uh, we talked about their starts having to be better on that Saturday. I think they were. What did you notice on that first night that you liked and didn't like? I liked the flying fins, man. They were back with a cobby. You guys know how I feel about those guys. Um, you know, I thought they were great. They were a lot sharper, a lot tighter. I watched, I watched that whole game. I watched a, a good chunk of last night's game, but you know, with Mietnin, right. That's how we say it now. That's how he wants Mietnin. to say Mietnin. I mean, he, uh, <laughs> I heard Jim Rich say it on one of the clips I watched this morning about his wrists and his release. I mean, if this kid does the right things, man, he's going to be a national hockey league player and score a ton of goals in my opinion. And I think, you know, a guy like Sam Hentges, 
he's got to be a key driver of their team. I mean, you know, I know we've talked about this a lot. You know, is it Micah Miller? Is it a guy like Nolan Walker? And, you know, he took the keys and he drove the bus last night, obviously. But, you know, I, I really think Sam's a guy. And it's, it's not a knock on him. It's a compliment because he can be that guy. I think a guy like Kevin Fitzgerald, he's another guy we've talked about. I think Kevin plays his role really well in talking to, you know, the staff and, and the time I spent talking to Brett Larson and, and their team in Omaha in, in the last couple of years. So it was just a balanced win, and I love those fins, man. I can't get enough of those guys. They are just – they make stuff happen. They're hard to play against. They're pest, and they know how to finish, and they know where to be, and they know how to play with – now they've been with – I don't know how long they've been with Okabe, but obviously in the bubble, they were in the pod. They were, they were with Easton for the most part. And, you know, whoever you put those guys with, they're great with whoever's out there as the third guy. We always hear coaches talk about want to play guys in pairs, not so much three guys on a line. It's more about pairs. They got something special with those guys. So that was a great win for them, and, and they needed it after uh, getting swept here in Michigan uh, last week. Yeah, they have a bye week coming up this week before facing Western Michigan again. They matched their point total from last season at 33 in four fewer games. Uh, and a guy that actually, before I kick it over to Nick here, someone that stood out for me that has been playing really well as of late is Joey Molinar, a guy that's really earned his spot in the lineup. I, you know, And I really like to see those guys uh, kind of work their way into their own. We saw Zach Okabe do that a little bit last year, of course, scoring four goals. The last player to score four goals before Nolan yeah. Walker did this weekend. Um, the last time a Husky scored five goals was actually um, 28 years ago yesterday on the same day in 1993. So wow. um, Nolan Walker almost had a chance to eclipse that mark. But, uh, you, you know, St. Cloud State, Nick, um, first of all, what, what was your overall evaluation of the weekend? And then as they prepare for a bye week in Western Michigan, what makes this week and a half so different for the Huskies as compared to the normal swing of things and the normal playing every weekend for this group? Well, first of all, to comment, uh, one thing that I like about St. Cloud's game this season as compared to maybe some other seasons is they know how to win in tight games. Uh, that's one thing that they've kind of sort of not say struggled with, but have kind of been half and half with, uh, to pardon the pun. Uh, but, you know, at, at the end of the, <laughs> at the end of it, uh, Miami, you know, their record isn't indicative of just how good they can be when they play the right way. Um, again, right. I think uh, Bergeron down there does a really, really good job with that squad. Uh, again, we talk about a team like Mambi's compared to Omaha, you know, as they're not going to have the, the high end skill maybe, but if they play collectively as a team, they can be very, very dangerous. They've got some guys who can skate. They got guys who can score, uh, but they need to play more of that grinding wear down type of style. And unfortunately with St. Cloud state and the game they got back to was efficient breakouts. They use their speed and it's almost like St. Cloud State turned the tides against them. They were able to get the puck deep. They kept the puck possession. They got shots on net. And more importantly for, for Ludwig Pearson, who came into this weekend as some, you know, the best goaltender of the NCH, and he's looked good. Uh, maybe a little bit of a reality check for him, too. Uh, St. Cloud did a really good job of taking his eyes away, especially on the power play. Um, and I think St. Cloud just overall executed in some of the best performances we've seen this weekend. Um, the big thing different this weekend is when you're a team that's rolling like this, you don't want to take a week off. You, you want to play this weekend. You know, you want to keep the train rolling. So, you know, yeah. it's, it's one of those deals where, you know, again, pandemic ensuing, you have to throw in, this is one of those bye weeks that were scheduled to, you know, give you some flexibility in scheduling, but maybe a time for some folks to heal. I know Kyler Kupka, he is out with an upper body injury. I did learn this this weekend. So he's not out of necessarily uh, because of his play, but he's out, he's out injured. 
but Molnar stepping in, uh, he's coming in. He's filled that fourth line role really nicely. Uh, selling his body out in a couple of block shots, especially in last night's game on the PK. He's a guy that, I, you know, I think more ice time with him, I think the more he's going to blossom and grow. Uh, the natural talent is there, no question about it. Uh, but for St. Cloud, you, you just have to relax. You have to uh, continue to work out, you know, prepare. Uh, but again, it just allows your body to heal. But again, Western Michigan, you want to take in, you know, like you just got swept because you're going to face them at home and then try to, again, regain some points because North Dakota is so running your butt. And if you continue to put up points like you're doing right now, not only will you be a force in the NCHC tournament, but you're going to have a couple of NCAA pairwise uh, guys looking at you to get into that NCAA tournament here coming later in March. Yeah, it's a good rest period, I think, for this group. Uh, and and you mentioned as well, um, you, you know, this, this group being able to – you know, want to keep rolling and that sort of thing. Uh, the only other bye week that was scheduled for this group was actually the weekend of February 20th and 21st. And that's when that February 20th game will happen against Colorado College that they miss in the bubble. So one of those is filled yep. for St. Cloud. So hopefully we don't have any other incidents because we're out of weekends for St. Cloud as far as scheduling is concerned, as far as I know anyway. Um, last question for you guys before we move on to our last topic of the day. Um, ben, I want to kick this one to you first. Jackson Castor gets the start on Friday night. David Rennick had the night off, played very, very well. David Rennick gets the nod on Saturday, had a pretty good performance. You know, I don't think you can fault him for, you know, the goals that were scored against him. And obviously his team supported him with a lot of goal support on Saturday. If you're Brett Larson, especially with this week off, are you evaluating these goaltenders in practice? And is David Rennick still your guy? Or is Jackson Castor a guy that, um, you know, might be a guy that you're going to go to maybe relatively more quickly if David gets the hook? I don't see why not. I mean, I think he's got the ability to be a number one guy. I mean, I think all three of them do, to be honest with you. But I haven't. I only saw Lamaru once in, in Omaha. But you know what? We've seen teams play two goalies. And if that's what it takes, that's what it takes. I mean, Brett's a smart guy. I mean, if, if one guy's playing well Friday, why not? I mean, you know, then you go to the old adage, you know, well, you don't have a number one. You know what? Who cares if you're winning games is my mentality. And absolutely, they're going to be doing a lot of evaluation. They're doing evaluation pretty much every single shift throughout the game. They'll break it all down. But I don't think it's a problem um, that if you play two guys, because like I said, at the end of the day, it's about getting points and getting dubs. And I'm okay with it. I'm okay with it. I think they're both capable guys. Um, You know, I know initially Rennick wasn't in Omaha. He wasn't as sharp as they would have liked in some moments although they had a great first week. Um, so yeah, I'm okay with that. I'm okay with them going with two guys if, if that's what it takes. So yeah, we'll see. It's, it's interesting, Nick, I'm about to kick it to you. Calm down. Um, okay. I was, I was going to mention here very quickly before I send it to my original co-host who's getting on my nerves. No, I'm just kidding. Um, Always does. It's fine. Um, you're Jackson, in the middle, man, right? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> you're, you're our arbitrator. Um, chirp, chirp boys. Um, so, so Jackson Castor, um, probably comes in on that Friday night because David Rennick has predominantly been better on that Saturday. So who knows, maybe they will go with that one, a one B tandem. That's all I was going to say, Nick. So now you can say your piece. What do you think about the goaltending situation for the Huskies? So mind you, coaches do things for different reasons, right? Uh, I think at the end of the day, David Rennick, not necessarily Friday, Saturdays, I think to me, not to discredit your point, you're right statistically, but David Rennick was supposed to be coming into the season as the bona fide number one. But what do you do for goaltenders that if not playing up, you push them? Other goaltenders push other goaltenders. I think there's some strategy here to sure. push David Rennick to be better. And I think if you, but there's a message that's sent when you're not starting the weekend as a goaltender, because arguably for David Rennick, it's his net, right? If I'm a goaltender, that's my net. I don't want to give it up. 
when the coach goes, Hey Jackson, you're starting Friday. If I'm David Rennick, I'm not necessarily pissed off, but I'm going, what do I have to do to get my net back? Right. So I think there's a really good strategy here. If I'm Brett to have these goaltenders push each other at the end of the day. And if that's what it takes, as Ben said, to get points, even more forward and mind you, if that means they get better every weekend because they're having this little, you know, end of the bat battle for the net. If these two goaltenders in a really, really good spot come NCHC playoff time, arguably St. Clair State might be the most dangerous team going into the NCHC tournament. And that's the kind of goaltending duel I want on my bench if I'm head coach Brett Larson going into the playoffs. Thinking about sitting you down, Jim. Man, all, all I have, <laughs> all, I ha- all, all I have when, you, when you're talking about that quote is, uh, um, you know, that moment, you know, that's my net, man. You know, you can't do that. You know, it's funny. So um, I have a friend uh, on a very quick little side tangent here. We had an episode uh, a couple of weeks ago. I think it was actually probably before when the pod was going to start or when it was just starting where we talked about that scene in Miracle. And I said that on the show, that's my net, man. Well, what I did is I dubbed the audio in the actual scene and put my audio in when he said, that's my net man. And it's kind of creepy to think that it actually lined up perfectly with the movie. So we'll have to maybe bring that clip out for our fans one day. But uh, speaking of clips and the broadcasting world and the way media is portrayed, Nick, maybe you want to introduce us on our last topic of the day. And I think uh, Mr. Ben Holden will have some very, very great insight for us on this one. I think he does. Uh, ben, uh, some news that uh, may be a little off guard, but maybe for those yeah. inside, not, not too much surprising, Ben. Uh, NBC announcing that NBCSN would be shut down by the end of 2021. Um, And this is pretty big because, again, the NHL's broadcast contract ends after the season. And I think, at least surface-wise, for the maybe the casual fans for the game, uh, you know, you would think that the NHL's broadcasts have been pretty good, that, you know, the NBCSN has done a pretty good job of producing these games. Uh, but again, the NHL wants more money. They want more exposure. And I think there's no question for us hockey fans, we want the game to have more exposure. So, uh, but at the end of the day, there was always talk of, okay, the NHL wants two domestic partners. They want to split it up. And uh, there's no question with the pandemic that the financial struggles with both sports teams and sports broadcasting teams, uh, you, you can't really equate to how tough it's been. And But now this does open up the conversation of, well, if the NHL and the NBCSN are not going to be partners in this, and I, I think this opens up a whole different avenue of these contract negotiations, who's going to be that guy? Uh, ben, I want to kick it to you because you've got some insider information as to possibly some networks that might be throwing their hats in the ring and where fans might be seeing some NHL games coming as early as early as next season yeah it's you know the nhl from what i know and and i i trust the people i'm talking to on this it's going to be either espn or fox and you know it it could be a collaboration um because you said it nick they they need to make more money and and there's not as much money in the nhl as we know is is the nfl the nba or even baseball there's just not so um that's what i'm hearing and and i would believe it certainly this is a step in and seeing that become a reality, whether it's both one or there's another entity that's involved. I mean, I, I don't know anything, but I'm just throwing this out there in regard to this. I wouldn't like Amazon. You hear about them being possibly involved with Seattle and their franchise, and they may be the home for the Seattle NHL team. So that that one I, I haven't talked to anybody on, but certainly the other part, the ESPN and the Fox, that I believe is clearly legitimate. And I'm not going to be surprised if it's both or one of them. Um, I'd be, I think I'd lean, if I had to lean one way right now, I'd say it'd be, it would be a joint effort. Uh, ben, I want to kick this over to you again, just because ESPN slash Disney 
essentially had the Stanley Cup Finals all the way into the 2004-2005 lockout season that was lost. And there just seems, to, at least for me, to have been where the ESPN slash Disney kind of has had a sour taste in their mouth since then. Because, again, when you don't play, you lose the revenues, you lose the advertising. It was significant loss for Disney when the NHL did not play a single game in the 04-05 season. And it just seems that ESPN has pushed NHL – off essentially to, uh, I guess, the third tier of their sports coverage. To me, it's it's so important, at least from a casual and even a, a really hard, diehard fan, for the ESPN to get involved in hockey just because I think how much influencing power they have, especially in the States, if they have their hat in the ring, does that necessarily mean that they're going to pay attention to it more, that they cover it more? And if they do, how important would that be for the growth of the NHL, especially in the States, if ESPN decides, hey, you know what, we need to actually start paying attention, maybe producing a show that talks about it. There's a lot of influence there with ESPN if they are able to, uh, I guess, be a part of the broadcast, wouldn't you say? Yeah, it'd be huge. I mean, there's no doubt about it. I mean, kids, you know, even, again, I have a 19-year-old son, kids that age group, you know, they, they don't know what that was like when it was 15 years ago when the games were on ESPN. And and you're right, it, it has been a sour taste. And for whatever reason, they shove the sport way down. If it's if there's 10 slots, it's usually nine or 10. I mean, I know there's, you know, beanbag toss and darts, but those things are easy and cheap to produce. Those events don't cost a lot of money. You know, you start getting into doing, you know, a pro event, you're, I don't know the exact numbers, but it's, it's a pretty significant amount of money. You're talking probably you know, anywhere from three, four, 500,000 just to bring in trucks and equipment to do a game, um, you know, and that's part of the problem. But I, I think it'd be enormous. I think we need that. Um, I, I just, for whatever reason, that's the way they've, they've treated it. And you're right. It just doesn't seem like it's gotten any better. And, you know, Bucci does what he can at ESPN, but he's one guy. And, uh, you know, it's, you know, it's, it's got to be a collective collaborative effort. and They got to be committed to it and want to be willing to spend the money and find the right people to sponsor it. So um, can it be done? Yeah, I think it can. Um, is there a possibility? Yeah, but I know this too from talking to folks that the, that ESPN is going to make a serious push to get more NFL games. So, you know, maybe that helps it out in the end. They get more money from that. You know, maybe they can pump a little into that if they get it. I, I don't know. But, I and again, I trust that source on that too that, that they're making a strong push to get more and more a bigger piece of the NFL pie. And I would imagine too, Ben, the one key thing that the NHL has done differently since that lockout has been the outdoor games, the winter classic and the stadium yeah. series. That's been a big knack on the NHL and NBC has the one that's been carrying all those special events for the league. Now I would imagine that if I'm ESPN or Fox as a big network, you're looking at that as probably being your biggest draw. Um, does the NHL maybe pose some concern if NBC maybe still wants to be part of this deal? And do you think that the NHL wants to push to make sure that if they're going to take these contracts that one of these networks is going to have to carry that forward, both the winter classic as well as the stadium series, because those are the big, you know, I suppose marketing games for the league uh, coming through uh, to these new broadcasters that would have the new contract. Yeah. I mean, you know, I could see, I could see NB. I don't, again, I don't know any on this part of it. I don't have a source on this, but I could see them being involved because the NHL is going to want an, a broadcast platform, whether it's NBC, whether it's Fox, whether whoever it is, they're going to want that platform. Um, you know, if you think about Fox, they've got two cable channels. Now they've got broadcast ESPN's obviously got a lot of places they could use ABC as a, as a platform, but is ABC going to take, 
bowl games that are typically played on New Year's Day, even in the COVID era, as I've called it, there were still a ton of games played on New Year's Day. I don't see them taking that and putting the NHL into that over college football. I mean, let's just be honest. It just makes more money. There's more overall interest in football in this country than there is in hockey. And that's just the way it is. So I think that's definitely a part of it, Nick. And I, I, again, I think that they need some type of broadcast platform, one of the big four to put their games and to showcase that game. Because for me, and I know you guys as a hockey fan, it's, it's become part of, New Year's Day, at least in, with the exception of this year, obviously. So I think it's important indeed. Yeah, we, uh, were, last... we, were, we were supposed to be in the press box for that one actually this year. So we're oh, yeah. pretty disappointed. <laughs> uh, no, I, I, Ben, I want to do uh, one last, uh, I guess, question on this just because, again, with, with hockey. So, so right now the NHL contract is $200 million per year in, in broadcast revenue. Uh, the next closest, I believe, is the NBA. I believe there's $600 million, uh, up there. So the NHL lags way behind. Yeah. Um, I think the goal for the NHL, if my sources are correct, is to at least double it, to get to at least 400 But if I'm hearing also correct, the NHL is trying to push to 500 uh, I guess, Ben, uh, can they get there, do you think, number one? Number two, how important is it for the NHL to get there? Because you got to remember – the salary cap is a lot tied to this revenue. And if you want some of these players to come in the league, these all-star talents and these NHL owners, such as maybe the, the low cows, such as uh, Carolina and, and Arizona, that maybe are the small market teams who rely a lot on this, you know, revenue. Um, it is important for the league sustainability now because they've lost over a billion dollars with this pandemic. Um, do you think they can make that push for 500 million a year in broadcast rights? I don't know. That's a lot of money to make up when it's currently at 200. I mean, I, I'm, I'm always the optimist, but that's a lot of money, man. And, you know, I don't know where they get it from. I don't know how they go about it. Um, anything's possible, but I, my answer would be right now. I don't think they can. I just don't know that there's the advertising revenue out there to get that. I mean, you're talking about more than doubling what they're at. Um, and I didn't know it was 200. So thanks for filling me in on that. That seems like an awful lot to make up. Um, so especially I hope with they can. I think Sorry, especially with COVID too. I mean, you throw that extra yeah. wrench in there, which I yeah. know that, you know, it, it has changed the way that we stream things. But I guess in my opinion, it's kind of like, you know, you already have this struggling revenue package for the National Hockey League. You know, are the networks in the same position? You know, maybe NBC, like you mentioned, was on their way out. But at the same point, you know, are, are they kind of saying we'd love to get to 400 million, but we just don't see that viable path in the next year or two just because of the state of the economy in the world right now? Well, yeah, you're right. And, you know, I got friends that worked at Golf Channel and emphasis on worked. Um, I mean, they laid off hundreds of people. I mean, back in the summer and in the fall, you could kind of see this coming. If you think back through the timeline, NBC Sports Network, their regionals, they laid off tons of people as well. Yeah, Katie Emmer, talking... St. Cloud State. What's that? Yeah, Katie, yeah, she got let go in Philly. Yeah, so, I mean, it's that's the tough part. So you could kind of, again, you could kind of see it coming with all those things. First, it was the regionals. Then it was golf channel. And now, now these networks are seeing, well, we can do these games and, you know, we can save X amount of dollars, you know, by not traveling. Like I'll give you an example. Yesterday I go to Michigan state, which is about an hour from my house. When I was doing football, I was basically on the road for over a period of time of four days. And two of those days were because we had to do testing. Now there's, there wasn't testing per se on this game. I did yesterday. There's screenings. And the people that just be a pro, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. If you don't feel good, stay home. And I know that's hard for people to do because many of us have been knocked down by this thing. Um, 
you know, it's just, it's amazing. And the, the amount of money that they're spending on testing and, you know, just it's astronomical. It just is. So networks are seeing that they can do things a lot cheaper. And I don't think that's going to change. I mean, I think eventually you're going to go back to all announcers in some capacity of being on site. I mean, guys, I've done 33 games in this whole thing, 12 football games, 10 college, two high school, and now 21 hockey games after yesterday. And I've been on site for every one of them. So we can do it. We just, I don't mean to get on this COVID soapbox here, but just kind of to the point it's, it can be done. It's just got to be done smartly. And these networks, again, they're taking a beating on this testing, just millions upon millions of dollars they're spending on it. And I guess to to, to finish this off, Ben, I actually want to kick this over to Noah first and then I'll get your thoughts on it. Uh, Noah, as the NHL fan, I, I know that when we watch games, uh, there's been a little bit of a knack, at least on social media, about the production value of NBC's SN. I, I don't know if I necessarily agree with, you know, the rhetoric there. I thought they've done well with what they've had, honestly. And I think that's often gets missed um, in the equation, if you want to call it. Uh, but, you know, if there is this sort of fans perceived lack of production value, I suppose if ESPN and Fox are going to take the bait, if, if this all does come to fruition, I guess, what could these networks do better? What as a fan do you want to see uh, from NHL to, to really kind of drive fan engagement? But what can be done differently? I'm not sure if there really is anything special they can do other than besides, I think maybe some of these stadium series games, which are really, really good. If you're still spending, as you mentioned, Ben, 500,000 to drive a truck to a building, why not, you know, make this a little bit more of like once a, once a, every 20 games, some of you're having these outdoor games and mind you, they did it at Dodger stadium. They had some of the best sites that they, some of the players yeah. have skated on, they did it, you know, at uh, the, the shows at the sugar bowl down in Texas, right? Was that right down? Was it the sugar? Bowl? Yes. That's where yeah, Dallas, sugar bowl. Nashville, yeah. In Dallas, yeah. you know, so Cotton you can, bowl. Yeah, the Cotton Bowl. Sorry, Cotton yes. Bowl, yeah. So, uh, so the in, in non-traditional markets, you can make this happen. Uh, but I guess what to maybe the non-casual fan can these networks produce that would draw some fans in and make this a more viable thing? I think awareness creates awareness, and I know that sounds simple, but you know, you think back. Uh, what is it? Was it NHL twenty? I think I uh, brought in Snoop Dogg to do some of the second intermission things. And yeah, it's yeah. cheesy, it's goofy, and that sort of thing. But you know. NBC's had Snoop Dogg come on their things too. And it's stuff like that when you get people who you wouldn't predominantly think are hockey people, especially especially in a market like Los Angeles, where the Kings winning a couple cups really helped that. But before that, I mean, it was tough sometimes, I think, for LA and their hockey games to be more about hockey and less about, you know, the celebrity piece of it. But then when you have those celebrities who start to show up at the games, well, then other people say, well, I'm going to go go to the Kings game, you know, partially for the hockey, but partially because there's people there. So I, I think that, you know, you look back to ESPN and one of the things that I really had to have a knock on with ESPN, you know, whether or not they're bitter about the NHL piece of this, Nick, you and I joked about this off air, but ESPN would rather talk about LeBron James getting a sliver in his kitchen before they talk about the Tampa Bay lightning winning 12 straight, you know, and that's, you know, what is it? They have Bucci and I guess, who's the other, is it um, Barry Melrose occasionally oh, yeah. w- with his slick hair? I'll always love him when he always says right off the coconut. That's one of my favorite hockey phrases of all time. Uh, ben, you might have to bring that one out. I think the next time you call I've, a game, I've used that every now and then when the time's right, I've used it. Yeah. It's what you can't, you can't overuse it. Like where mama hides the peanut butter cookies. You can't, you can't overuse it, but I, I don't know. I, I just think that if you're personally, I lean a little bit more towards Fox and I think that you have to at least maybe create another sort of show or another type of sports desk or something similar to almost the NHL network where you have, you know, special guests come on and talk about the game of hockey, because I think the knock on the game of hockey is 
you know, people just don't watch it, you know, and that sounds simple, but you think about the Super Bowl, right? Everybody goes and watches the Super Bowl. You know, even if you're watching for the commercials, you're still tuning in and you might learn something and might enjoy the football game. With hockey, mm. a lot of people that end up watching their first hockey game love watching the sport and say, what have I been missing all this time? Well, you have to expose that to people who are not in Minnesota, are not in Massachusetts, are not in these big, you know, even Michigan, these bigger hockey markets. You have to expose it to people in Florida and just find creative ways to advertise that. And I think that's where these networks have to start is just simply being able to put their sports desks outside the arena when COVID's over and just showing that, Hey, Fox is doing the thing outside the arena. And as a fan, maybe you get to walk by, you get to cheer that sort of thing. Just something that exposes the game. I, I know it sounds simple and it sounds like I may be dodging the question, but you know how, <laughs> how do you, you know, the, the Super Bowl, they don't have to work hard to expose the Super Bowl because they've created this following. It's like doing a podcast. It's like what we do for the Huskies warming house podcast. We've had the Jersey contest. We've given away hats. We've given away t-shirts. We've done all these things. One, because we love our fans, but two, because we want our fans to tell about other fans <laughs> about what we do. I think the networks have to take a similar approach and just find creative ways to get people engaged and try to generate that word of mouth because it's a big deal. You know, you look at, you look at UFC fights, anything like that. Word of mouth is huge in the game of broadcasting. Yeah. Totally agree. Um, I don't know if, you know, I think that wraps up most of it our does, It does. Yeah. We, yeah. Do, we, we, do have, we do have only one hockey series this weekend here. Uh, we do have the women's hockey team facing Duluth for the second time this season in back-to-back games. I believe it's Friday and Saturday of this upcoming week here. So men's hockey team, as we mentioned, they're off. We have to see if they'll climb a little bit in those rankings to maybe four or five back again after a sweep against Miami. But nonetheless, that's going to do it for the Huskies Warming House podcast. We have Nick Maxson and Ben Holden who are going to bring you an absolutely fantastic interview with uh, uh, Husky favorite Robbie Jackson here on Tuesday for the Healthy Scratch interview segment. This one was a good one. You're not going to want to miss it. Uh, there he is looking good on that pamphlet uh we worked hard on those pamphlets we got a great bulk deal on those suckers so check it out so check it out uh don't forget trivia every saturday at noon a chance to win a hat like ben holden is wearing got his this week and uh we're gonna say sayonara for episode number 46 of the huskies warming house podcast 